I am so glad that you're here this morning as we gather as a community to worship. Worship is singing, worship is giving, worship is praying, and and worship is opening up God's Word. And we do that each and every week here. It's not very fancy, but we continue to open up God's Word, and our study brings us to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is our third week that we've been in First Peter. So if you're newer, let me just remind you a little bit who the author is and the circumstances that he's writing this letter. Peter was writing near the end of his life, right before the evil emperor Nero began to make it really hard on those who are following God. He writes to a community of God's chosen people, And Peter identifies these folks as exiles, as temporary residents, as foreigners, as sojourners. They are a group of people who are trying to journey well between two worlds, their present culture and their world that they live in. Life is hard for these early Christ followers, and it's only going to get worse. As you read in history, anyone who was following God, especially in the Roman Empire, was begun or going to be abused. Gross things, like even using them to light pathways by pouring tar over you, just because you're a God follower. We find out that Peter begins his letter by reminding the chosen that God knows them personally. We know that life is really hard in this first century. But we also know this, that one of the first things that Peter reminds all of these travelers is that God is going to be with you. Imagine that. Imagine that no matter what the circumstance, what the situation is, that you know that your God, creator God, walks with you. No matter what news you get in the hospital, no matter what news you get from your boss, no matter what phone call you get from your kids, it's really kind of cool to have creator God so close so intimate, to just walk with you. He then has a doxology of praise, praising um, God and focusing on our great salvation, a salvation given by God's mercy and grace that we receive through our faith, a salvation so rich and so robust. It sounds like coffee. I, okay, I'll... Get back here. A salvation that is so rich and robust that there's three aspects to it. To understand it even fully. The first aspect, and again last week I asked you to put on your students' hats and to learn three words. The first aspect of salvation we talked about last week was justification. It happens when a person understands their sinfulness and recognizes that they can never connect with God until they receive his free gift. That's why Jesus went to the cross to pay our debt. 
to pay the penalty for sin. And so Peter talked a little bit about that last week and just said, hey, I want you to rejoice. I want you to get excited about the past aspect of salvation, justification, which is a one-time thing. Then we talked a little bit about sanctification. And sanctification is your journey, your walk with God, the way that God makes you holy, or the way that he refines you, or the way that he chips away the things that don't reflect our God very well. It's called sanctification. It happens all throughout your life. And the last aspect is called glorification, or freedom from the presence of sin. That someday God is going to call you and me and every other believer, well, to live with him for eternity. And that's going to be an amazing time. But this salvation was also so mind-blowing that the prophets were confused and the angels were baffled. So in light of this great salvation that we just got through focusing on, Peter continues his letter. If you turn your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 13, I've asked Brian to read the text for us. 1 Peter 1, starting at 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word today, we pray that uh, you would speak to us. We ask you, God, that you would change our perspective of who you are, that you would open our eyes to how big and wonderful and gracious. We pray that your truth would transform us, we pray that nothing happens here, God, that would distract what you want to do in our lives today. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you, God, that we can open it up. And thank you, Lord, that it transforms us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We're going to start at verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. For all of your hope... And the gracious salvation will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So Peter really starts off in saying, so in light of this great salvation, these first 12 verses, which we have focused on, I'd like you to do three things. Now again, Peter isn't um, a prolific writer, but what he tries to do is tell us what he wants us to do, and just in a little bit later, starting in verse 14, he tells us how he wants us 
to do it. So the three things he wants us to start off doing is, first of all, prepare your minds for action. Literally, what Peter is saying is, gird up your loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. So what does gird up the loins of your mind actually mean? Well, I was raised in a church that focused on King James Version. And this was one of the texts that I remember looking at and kind of wondering, gird, gird up those loins. Not exactly sure what that meant. And as I was thinking about it, I was going to ask that question. In fact, why don't you watch this clip? I asked a bunch of families to respond to, what does gird up your loins mean? Let's watch. Owen, what does it mean to gird up your loins? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, um, gird up my loins. <laughs> uh, gonna lotion up your legs. <laughs> Um. <laughs> um. I don't know. Gird your loins. Gird your loins. Gird? Gird. What kind of word is gird? Who's ever heard of a word that's gird? gird. gird. <laughs> um. Gird up your loins. What do you mean? Is gird. Gird your loins? Is that, what kind of question is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um. I think it means to pull up your pants. Do I have loins? I have no clue. Ground them up, maybe? When somebody asks me to gird my loins, I think the ancient Aztecs and how they used the gird or the shield to cover their loins. What does gird up your loins mean? <laughs> gird up your loins. I'm not sure. Maybe gird up your loins means be prepared. One of the things that each one of us have to understand is that as Peter wrote to the original hearers, they understood completely what girding up your loins is all about. In fact, if a person wanted to move quickly or easily, often he would pull up the corners of his robe up through his belt or sash to tie those corners in place. Peter metaphorically applies this process to the mind. He urges believers to pull up all the loose ends of their lives, 
meaning to discipline their thoughts, to live according to biblical priorities, to disentangle themselves from the world's sinful hindrances, and to conduct life righteously and godly in view of the future grace that accompanies Christ's return. Gird or prepare your mind is written in a way where you participate with God. He is not asking you to try to try real hard. He's saying, as you connect with me, you'll be able to prepare your mind for action. He's calling us to be ready to watch God actually work. He's not answering the how question right now. But what he's saying is that we need to focus on the mind first. We need to prepare for action, for battle, for the mission. We also need to exercise self-control. Literally, the scripture says, keep being sober. So in light of this great salvation... Peter is encouraging us into action. The first thing he says is prepare your mind. Second thing he says is exercise self-control or keep being sober. In other words, most of us use the word sober as we kind of think of alcohol. And if you're not sober, it just simply means that alcohol has taken over, well, who you are as a person. But I think what Peter is saying here is don't let anything inhibit spiritual alertness. Don't let anything distract you. The truth is that there's a lot of good things that often distract every one of us. But Peter's just kind of tossing it out. He said, I want you to prepare your minds. And I want you to exercise self-control. I want you to be sober. And then the third thing he says is put your hope in eternity. Fix your hope on eternity. He's really saying this. Bask in justification and sanctification. Bask in the truth that Christ has paid our debt for sin and that we have victory over sin. But what I want you to do is fix your eyes on eternity. Peter understands God's mission and God's call. But he's encouraging each one of us to think of the future. Now Peter focuses on the how. What thinking and exercising actually look like. So turn to verse 14 with me as I read. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Peter says you must live as obedient children. Hmm. I think what Peter is saying is that we ought to be children who obey. It's not rocket science. In fellowship and in the word that we are ready to receive and to respond. 
He says, don't slip back or regress. You didn't know any better then. Literally, don't be conformed of what you used to do when you were without Jesus, when you weren't redeemed, when you didn't have a brand new mind. He says, don't slip back to that. Don't let your character be molded by the desires of your ignorant days. In fact, if you remember, and as you read through the scripture, especially in Romans chapter 6, there's a good possibility to have significant measure over sin's control in our life. Then he goes on in verses 15 and 16. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Wow. I bet you knew, I bet if you knew we're going to talk about holy, you might not have come today. I'm not so sure anybody would raise their hand and say, whoa, um, that's what I want my reputation to be. I'm the holy junior that goes to that high school. I'm the holy wife. I am the holy plumber. Wow, I, I bet, you know, let's sign up for this. This sounds rather exciting. Well, I think we just don't understand what holy is. But Peter writes this, he goes, but now this is showing a huge contrast. You must be holy because I'm holy. You know, the Old Testament understanding of holy was simply set apart from ordinary or evil use and set so that you might be used to glorify God. You read all the way through the Old Testament, it says, don't defile or you will not be qualified to serve me. If there's sin in your life, if you don't confess your sin, you are not allowed to serve the New Testament, if you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20, the Apostle Paul is writing to one of his young pastor friends. And this is a man who's leading a church at the town of Ephesus at this time. It's a pretty mature church. It's a pretty happening church. And Paul says this to Timothy, the pastor. He says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. These expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, Timothy, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Peter's first reason is this. Be holy because God is holy. Now, if God is our standard, let's face it, that's a little confusing. Be holy... I'm just not going to be that holy, and you're just not going to be that holy. How is this even possible? 
Well, I think what God is just trying to share with each one of us is that he desires a relationship with us. And God is holy, and God is pure, and God is clean. And although we put sins in categories, or we put sins, maybe big ones or little ones, God says, you know what? Sin is rebellion against me. Sin is disobeying me. And when you disobey me, you're dirty. We can't fellowship with one another. We can't chat. We can't, as we've been talking about, be yoked together. That's impossible. I can't hear you. I can't respond to you. There's sin in your life. Well, we look at that, and that's, that's kind of hard to understand, but one of the first verses so many of you learn in your Christian walk is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, con- to cleanse us from every unrighteousness, to forgive us of our sins. And realistically, it means make you clean so that you and God can connect with one another again. So it's one of the beautiful verses in Scripture because it just kind of explodes about how gracious God is. We need to own the sin that we commit. Because God says, I want a relationship with you. You know, it's rather normal for kids to imitate their fathers. This is not something new or fresh. Peter's just saying, hey, God's holy. You're in love with God. You spend time with God. You have a relationship with God. Begin to imitate God. And for us, that's a time where we over and over confess our sin as we sin so that we are cleansed. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 17, he also gives us another reason to be holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge and reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during the time as temporary residence. Peter keeps shoving that in. He keeps wanting to remind that, hey, we're just on a journey. Hey, we are just passing through. This is not our real home. So he says, in light of that, be holy because God actually is going to judge or reward. He almost knew that this was coming, but, but Peter wanted to make sure we understood this. He said, live in reverent fear during your visit. Now, you're going to see all the way through the scriptures that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that we ought to fear God. And it's not always in the context where fear is because God is going to judge you. Sometimes we could translate that respect. But in this case, Peter's really talking about fear Because God will spank or punish you if you don't listen. You know, I'm not sure, again, um, if this is going to paint my father in good light. But that's okay. Cut me some grace here, if you don't mind. My dad was was a man, and he's been with the Lord a long time, so I couldn't actually call him up and ask him if I could use this illustration. But I grew up living in the fear of my father. 
my dad had a way about him. And I knew one thing is that when he said something, I needed to listen. My mother was another story, all right? She was the soft one, and she was the kind one, and the loving one. My dad was the firm one. And even though this might be the, not the best parenting, when mom would say, well, you just wait till your dad gets home. Actually, it worked very well in our house. Just letting you know, okay? Uh, because I knew, <laughs> oh boy, I'm in trouble. I remember one time, <laughs> this is the truth, we had a three-bedroom house. And I was in one room, and my mom was in the kitchen, and she called out, said, Rick, I don't exactly even remember what she asked me to do. My dad was in the hallway. I was in this room, and I got up, and I was walking toward the hallway. And I actually didn't respond that well to my mother. It was probably, um, you know, to, to the way that, you know, very disrespectful. I remember I was about 13 years old. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew I was in trouble. You you ever feel that uh, ever? And my dad was walking by me, and he took his right arm, and he went like this. Boom! Caught me right here. I literally remember coming off the carpet into a door and just sunk. And he looked at me and says, don't ever talk to your mother like that again. That was it. I don't remember anymore. And I'm not saying, parents, go home and do this, okay? This is, I just let you know that things are really different now. Maybe. (laughs) But I know this, is that all of a sudden, when my dad, as I was growing up, said, you better be home at a certain time. Oh, you better do this. You better do that. That I feared my father. And I think a little bit this is what Peter really was trying to say. We see it sometimes in the New Testament. If you remember back in the very early church in Acts chapter 5, there were all these people gathering together and and there were some... um, really hurting people at that moment in the early church. And there were folks that were selling possessions and and they were trying to help others. And there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira thought, hey, this looks pretty good. Let's sell some property. Let's give some to the church. But they kind of lied. They sold some property and gave some to the church, not all the church, and basically said they gave everything. Well, God dealt with them in a very powerful way, and in a way I'm pretty grateful that God doesn't deal with me that way. But when Ananias and Sapphira lied, God terminated their lives. If you look at chapter 5, verse 11, you're going to read something like this. There was great fear that went throughout the church. Oh, yeah. I'd say so. There are times God judges, but there are also some kinds that God honors. 
But Peter's just kind of put it in perspective here. And he's saying, hey, fear God. Look at verse 18. Gives us some more reasons. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him to be your ransom long before the world began. And now in these last days, He has been revealed for your sake. He says, I want you to be holy because God paid a ransom to save you and to save me from an empty life. In fact, God sent his son. He spilled his blood so that you might experience a relationship with me and you might have the capability of being holy and experience all that God has. Do you notice said something about to save each one of us from an empty way of living. Whoa. You know, the meaning of ransom, it's often the plot of every book or movie or TV. But to the Romans back then, this was used specifically for prisoners of war. And so really what Peter was saying is that kind of a nice picture You're a prisoner. You're a prisoner of sin. You're a prisoner to obey the enemy. And Jesus Christ died so that each one of us might have our debt paid. And instead of serving sin, we get to serve the Almighty God. Wow, that, that gives you goosebumps. The ransom payment was Christ's blood. He purchased one's freedom. He redeemed us in some of your versions, you would see it. But in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the Son By the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. You see, the empty life that he's saving us from is a life that serves sin. You see, the scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death, and oftentimes we feel that separation from God, which it is. But the wages of sin is always death. Whenever we serve ourselves or disobey God, the fruit is always unfulfillment, empty living, short bursts of joy with lots of pain to follow. This was God's gracious plan from the beginning as that we would be holy. You know what, though? I bet we're still struggling a little bit with that. And, you know, even though I sin and maybe I don't deal with my sin ruthlessly and, you know, it's big sins, little sins. I I get this. I know that we ought to, well, be concerned about that in our lives. Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say it's your anniversary. 
All right? And you've been married to this special lady, let's just say 40 years. Okay? You love her with all of your heart. And you decide, I'm going to take you out to someplace really special. Way out of our budget. We'll never be able to do this again. So you lift up the phone and you make a reservation at Stony River. Now, if you've not been to Stony River, it's probably way beyond any of your abilities to pay for it. Okay? I've only gone once. It wasn't a date, but, but someone brought me, and, and it was kind of nice. But the bottom line was, here, Stony River. So, so you, again, both look very handsome and beautiful, and, and you get in your car, and there's a valet parking, and you pull in, and, and everything is just really wonderful. They bring you to this special table, and they bring the menu. Well, both you and your honey are looking at each other, and you're so excited that you're going to have this date. But the table they bring you to, well, has water glasses with lipstick on it. And, and the forks are still on the plates, And there's still some mashed potatoes, garlic mashed potatoes, but mashed potatoes on there. And the napkin is kind of crumbled, and it's got barbecue sauce on it. And there's rib bones. And so you wait, and you think, well, maybe it's busy, and you have some small talk, and the waiter comes, and you order, and nothing happens. And so, because you're very gallant, you talk to the waiter and say, hey, wait a minute, um, are you guys going to clean this table or can we go to a different table? He goes, oh, sir, no problem. Uh, except that we have a brand new policy here. And I said, well, what's your policy? Well, the policy is, is that, you know, hiring dishwashers really digs into the budget, you know? And so we've just decided that we're just going to use the same plates for everybody all day long. And so, you know, we'll bring the food and we'll just put it right on there. We just hope you enjoy your ribs and your meal tonight. Actually, that might make some of you throw up. Okay? Are you kidding? Who could have been eating here? (laughs) They they could have some disease that is like really bad for one thing. I mean, it's hard for some of you guys to take a fork from your wife and put it in your mouth, you know? Much less this. Our standard is way above this, right? Even if you get served and everything looks really good, if you lift your glass up and you see that little lipstick smudge, you go, I'm not drinking this. No. No. And you call someone and said, I want to clean. If you can somehow see that's who God is. God isn't unruly and God isn't unkind and God isn't, well, unattainable. But he says, my standard's just really different. I want to enjoy you, but I am holy, and I need you to be clean. And if you want to be fulfilled, you're going to ruthlessly deal and confess your sin so that you might be able to experience abundant living. Wow. This is God's gracious plan 
from the beginning. Then he ends up in verse 21. Though Christ, through, excuse me, through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. See, God wants us to trust him. The God who planned the redemption is now the object of our trust. My question to you is, as we close up, are you ready for some action? Are you ready to be on mission? Are you ready to connect with God in a new and a fresh way? He says, hey, prepare your minds. Make sure that you are ready to receive all that God has. And I want you to exercise self-control. Sometimes your habits and sometimes your druthers aren't necessarily evil, but they thwart what I want to be able to share with you and what I want you to do because my relationship with you is unbelievable. And he says, really what I want you to do? I want you to focus on eternity. I want you to recognize again that this isn't what life is all about. You're just temporary residents and the word we're using, exiles. Let me close our time reading what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way you worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and which is pleasing and which is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your grace in our life. And we know, God, that you have a plan. You know what's best for us. And you know, God, that we often take shortcuts. Peter knew that his life was short. And he wanted these sojourners to understand how important it was to prepare our minds and to exercise self-control and to really focus on eternity, not so much here. God, would you help us grow in this area? Would you give us the grace we need each day? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as you walked in today, you all received a bulletin. And in the bulletin, there's a flap. And if you're newer to our fellowship, uh, we'd love to get the information um, so that I might be able to follow up with you and give you a call and just see how you're doing check in with you on the journey and and encourage you if I can. If you have the courage to do that, I'll I'll give you a call. If not, there's another spot for prayer requests or some other things. If you want to fill that out in just a little bit, we're going to be receiving the offering. You can put that right in the offering plates. 
But for the next few minutes, what I'd like to do is just have a time of listening. You know, God used the Apostle Peter to speak to us and to warn us and to encourage us today. I wonder what he specifically said to you. Let's be quiet and listen before we receive our offering. Peter was transformed because he believed in the name of Jesus. Changed his life completely. And I trust his words to you this morning. Encouraged and convicted. Before you leave, I'd like to read from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Hey, before you leave, just a reminder, our ladies are going to have an unbelievable special evening this Friday. All right, it's called From Gossip to Grace. Now, what we're hoping for is this, is that every one of us, uh, is just focused on the ladies today, struggle at times with our tongue. We trust that this evening will encourage you. We trust that this evening will, will strengthen your faith and that you can come out. There's a sign up in the gym and we'd love for you to, to join us this Friday. If for some reason, again, God um, is working in your heart, we do have a prayer team that's going to be up here. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, please come on up to the front. As you leave, we've got quite a few new families again here this week. We trust you might greet someone you don't know. You don't have to hug them, but please say hi to them. And uh, there's some donuts and some coffee and some other things in the gym. Thanks so much for coming. May God give you grace for this week.